pastor. I don't know if you realize that. Hey, the first five to ten years are not hard, okay, because um, there's about 10, 15 passages you can preach on on Mother's Day that gets you through the first five, ten years. Uh, I'm going on 26, so, you know, it's like, okay, so how do you keep things, you know, fresh or tell somebody something they haven't heard or you haven't talked about? So that's my challenge today. Um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a road, and some of you are like, wow, you really are stepping out of the box. But that's okay. Um, where mothers, are, it, it's, they're unique. They're, they're, they're unique in the way that God has, has um, <clears throat> designed them. And um, a day like this is hard because there's so many emotions. There's some of you that had great mothers. Some of you didn't know your mother. Some of you have lost your mother. Some of you still have your mother. Some of you have mothers who have Alzheimer's, and so there's a, that, that pain and that disconnect that, that hurts. Um, some of you um, want to be a mother, but you can't be a mother. And there's just and some of you are a mother, and you've lost children. And there's just so many emotions that come into a day like this. <clears throat> and um, I, I'm aware of that. Um, so let me lighten it a little bit. Um, I, read a couple of great stories this week that I had to share. One of them is a, a little boy. His mom had gone in and read him a story to go to bed that night, a nighttime story. And uh, while she was reading, a thunderstorm came up, and it's lightning and thundering outside. And so the little boy looked at mom and said, Mom, would you sleep with me tonight? Would you stay in my bed tonight? And, and the mom said, No, honey, I can't. said, No. Uh, I, I need to go sleep with Daddy. And she started to walk out of the room. And as she got to the door, she heard the little boy go, Big sissy. <laughs> um, that was good. Uh, um, you know, because, I mean, the bottom line is being a mom is tough. Uh, one, one guy had this, said this about it. He said, being a mom is like wrestling a gorilla. Uh, you, you don't quit when you're tired. You quit when the gorilla's tired. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot to be said for that, for what mom's put up with. So this morning, I'm going to go to a story in the Bible that uh, is u- very, very unique in that anytime we read this story, you don't even think of it in terms of mothers. And I didn't until I really started thinking it through and started realizing there's some pretty good principles in here for us. And it covers a lot of uh, controversial stuff and yet a lot of really good stuff. Um, and I want to go to a story uh, in, in about King Solomon um, with regard to mothers. Now, let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Uh, Solomon is uh, a king. Um, he follows David. So David is king of Israel, if you remember. David, remember the story of David and Bathsheba, and they lose a child. And then they have another child. That child is, is Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 2, David passes away. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, 2, 3, David, or Solomon becomes king. Now, what you probably don't know when you know about Solomon is this. <clears throat> Solomon dies at 52 years old. And Solomon reigns for 40 years. So when you do the math, <clears throat> how old is Solomon when he becomes king? Twelve. So, you know, you think about a 12-year-old now becoming king of, of Israel. Um, that's a big deal. So as Solomon becomes king, one of the things that happens, and you know the story, 
God asks, God tells him that he can have whatever he, you know, asks him what he, what he wants, what he would like. And the one thing that Solomon asked for is wisdom. And um, because he was so young, he ends up actually putting a lot of confidence and trust in his mom, who he actually has set with him kind of on the throne even. And that's going to play into our story, I think, a little bit this morning. So when we get to second, or first Kings chapter 3, you need to understand Solomon is king, and now God is going to have to establish him as king. And God is going to use a very unique event in that there is a problem that comes up that Solomon has to solve. And so this is the first big problem that Solomon solves. At best, he's an older teenager. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a huge problem and for anyone to solve, much less a, a, a teenage king. Okay? Um, so with that in mind, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 3. It'll be on the screen for you, and we'll, we'll read it together. And here's what it says. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. Going on. Here's what it says. Um, Next one, guys. Uh, And the woman's son died. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept, and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. So this is the, this is the dilemma that Solomon is presented with. And so before we go any further, I want to lay out some things as we, as, as we talk about this, and as we look at this, this story. Um, first of all, these women are identified as harlots or prostitutes. Okay, now, if you'll think about this for a second, God has to choose a situation that can test Solomon as a king. And he uses these two prostitutes. Now, in this time, these harlots, it was not, the, the, Jewish, the Jewish system um, said that's wrong, that's sin. The society in which they, they were around accepted it. Um, from, from what we gather history-wise, we know a couple of things. Um, uh, first of all, th- these people were really looked down upon in society. Um, in many cases, they were people who were slaves. And so their slave owner had sold them into prostitution. In other situations, it was actually parents sold their children into this. Um, in other situations, what had happened is they were either unmarried women with no family or they had been married and divorced and left aside and so they had no way to provide for themselves other than this. So what happens is, for whatever reason, these women have no support system whatsoever. Um, and so they have turned to this as a lifestyle. And yet, the thing that's unique about this, and this is what you've got to think about, they're both moms. Now, if you're a mother who's about ready to deliver a child and that was your occupation, you're now going to be out of a job. 
So you're making a decision, first of all, to raise a child and leave your, 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 your source of income. They have no husbands, we know that, because it says they're in the house alone with two of them. They have no family. They have no servants. They are literally alone. And you find these two, children, you find these two women in this situation, and they come to Solomon... And they say, we need, you to, we need you to decide and fix this thing for us. Now, most of the time when I study and when I go to do a message like this, I, I, I do a lot of reading. And I read commentaries and I read stuff online and I read stuff that I have in my library and things like that. I would say probably 98, 99% of the time when I stand up here... I, I am going to agree with probably 75% of the things that I read. Um, Because I read current stuff as well as older stuff. This morning, I'm going to do something I rarely ever, ever, ever do. And I'm going to disagree with about 90% of the stuff I read this week. Now, I understand that's a big big jump if you're going to go, wait a minute, there would be people who have been writing on this stuff for like 100 200 years, and you're going to go, you don't agree with them? Yeah, I'm going to go into that territory, and I'm going to tell you why. Most people who, and most commentators who look at this story, contrast these two women kind of as good good mom, bad mom. Literally, the word that they use is selfish mom and selfless mom. Okay? And, and they throw them into that category, and they throw them out. This is a good mom because she loved her child and was willing to give up. You know how the story is going to go, but she was willing to give up her life for her child. And the other mom is selfish. I don't see those two moms in this situation. What I see are two moms in pain. Because both moms had lost a child. The one mom had lost a child because the child died. The other mom lost a child because the child was abducted. So you have two moms, and I think the mom that commentators and everybody else classify as the selfish mom is really a mom in hurt and pain of loss. So I put her in a whole different category. And in hurt and pain and loss, you tend to do things and say things and make decisions that you normally wouldn't make in normal circumstances. But because the pain is so great, because the loss is so great, it becomes overwhelming to you. And, and that's how I really see that other mom. And, um, but again, the, both moms experience the same thing, and both moms experience loss. Part of, what I, part of my belief on that passage is shaped by you. Because the thing that's unique about this church, and many of you probably are not aware of it, is this is a church that has a disproportionately large amount of people who have lost children or grandchildren. As I see more and more people come in here, and as we deal with more and more people, I am amazed at how much loss is represented in this congregation. Most churches, it's probably 2 3 4%. In this church, it's 10 to 15 um, We have a lot of people here who have experienced deep, loss at the loss of a child or a grandchild. I think it's part of our DNA. I think it's part of, I think it, it has shaped us into who we are. I think it's one of the reasons 
you guys find yourselves more accepting of other people. I think it's one of the reasons that we show compassion and, and, and love to people as they come in here. I, I, if I could do anything to spare you from the heartache that you've gone through, I would. But on the other hand, I have to look at it and see how God has used it to mold and shape us. And I think it's one of the things here. I cannot imagine the loss of a child or grandchild. I, I have, and those of you who have been involved with, with it when you've lost a child, you know, I, I, I tell you, I have no words. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where there are, there, there are no words. Um, and to think in this story that what you have here is, is, is a mom who, and, and even commentaries, I mean, when they say this, they go, okay, you know, she was careless because she fell asleep and laid on her child and smothered her child. But, but, but when you read the story, both, that was the common deal in that day is the child laid next to the mom. Even, it says, even when she replaced the child, she puts him next to the child. Next to her. I mean, they're, they're, both moms are doing the same thing. It can't be harder on one than the other one. Um, so when I, see this, when, when I see this story, you have a mom who realizes I've lost a child. And is, her heart's broken. Her heart is overwhelming, overwhelmed with this. And she does, I think, the only thing she knows to do. You know, I don't think she's trying to be mean or cruel. I think she's just saying, I, I want a child. This was my escape out of my past. This was my new future. This was my new hope. And now I don't have it. So I'm going to replace it with this. Maybe she thought she didn't want the change as much as she did or whatever else. But for whatever reason, she swaps out children. Um, and that's where our story starts. And there's this teenage kid trying to make a decision on whose child it is. And notice what it goes on to say in the next passage. Um, It says, And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son. The dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son. The living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And it goes on. And here's what it says. And the king said, Solomon goes, okay, so this one says, this is the son who lives, and your son is the dead one. The other one says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. So Solomon's sitting there and says, let me get this right. Both of you think that your son is the living one. Um, Now, I'm fascinated by this as a dad, as a grandpa, because these children were only three days old. There's only three days difference between them. And mom knew the difference. And women are going, sure, why not? Listen, I think they all look the same. Okay? And and if you don't believe me, you go, oh, you don't understand. Not when they're yours. Yeah, when they were mine. Oh, but you'll get it when you're a grandpa. No, ask my kids. They, they would have pictures with her and another baby, and I go and, and I would say, is Claire in the picture? Which one's Claire? You know, because to me, they, at that age, they all look the same in my world, you know. And, and, and I don't want to offend you ladies, but, you know, when you come to me, you go, oh, isn't that the cutest little baby? No, they all look the same to me. You know, oh, this is the cutest one. No, it isn't. They all look this way, you know. 
You know, when they're first born, they got that cone head thing going on. And, you know, and, and they just they all look the same to me. But this mom knew. And I have noticed that moms have a tendency to do that, especially with a newborn. Well, they'll just sit and stare at that child. And they'll know everything about that child. Because that's kind of what moms do. That's kind of a mom thing is to be able to figure out your child. And my wife was so good at this with our boys. Where she would know something, even now, she'd go, you know, I think something's going on with so-and-so. You know? Like, oh, really? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Clueless. Um, you know, but, I mean, it's one of those things where moms just have that tendency. And she, she knew, this is my kid, and this is my child, and that one is not. And as a mom, she had that insight. And I think that's one of the things you see with moms here. And again, you need to remember, these are not, these are not, like, these are not Proverbs 31 moms. Okay, these are generic run of the mill on the other side of the track moms. But moms are moms. And she knew her kid. And then we go on to how the story ends. And you know the rest of it if you don't any of your Old Testament. It says, the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king. By the way, she's the one that came to Solomon first. By the way, remember that. And said, and she yearned with compassion for her son. She said, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. And this is where a lot of people look at it and say, okay, see, she's the selfish mom. No, 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 no. This is a mom who's in pain. Who's hurting deeply who isn't thinking clearly, who's so upset that she's lost something that's like, if I can't have it, no one else should be able to have that either. I don't think this is the way she is. I think this is the way she is in pain. This is the way she is when she's, she's brokenhearted, when she's dealing with emotions she doesn't know how to deal with. When she's looking at it going, you know what? I don't, I don't care if, 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 you know, that'll at least make us both feel bad. And I, I really see that as her heart. I, I don't see her as this, this monstrosity of a, of a mother that, that a lot of other people see her as. And he goes, but divide him. And then notice what it goes on to say. Um, um, go to the next one, guys. Um, so the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child. And by no means kill him. She, kill him. She is his mother. And all of Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king because they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. I think it's interesting that in this whole story, I mean, there's just so many interesting aspects of this, but nothing happens to this other mom. She's not taken out because she made false accusations or anything else. Why? Because I think Solomon realized, even as a young person, Solomon realized this is somebody who's hurting. So I want to talk a couple applications as we, as we go into this. You go, okay, how, do we, how, how does this apply to us, moms, adults, everybody that's in here? Here's the first thing you need to understand. I think one of the things this story teaches us is this. God doesn't expect you to be a perfect mom. You get that? 
Because I know a lot of moms that beat themselves up. I know a lot of Christians that beat themselves up because they don't think they have all their ducks in a row and they're not as Christian or mom or whatever term you want to use as the other person, some other person that they're comparing themselves to. This story is about two harlots, not two Proverbs 31 women. This is about two people who were moms, who are trying to do the best they can with the resources they had. That's what this story is about. That's what God expects from us. And so many times, moms, because of media, and you know what happens, you get on Facebook and you see all your friends with their perfect posed children and you're thinking, good night, if I could even get my kids together in a room and, and, and just, if I could get one of them to pose, it would be awesome. Much less getting them all lined up to take that perfect picture. Or, you know, you know, well, you know, I don't, you know, my house, I mean, I go to the other, my other friend's house and their houses are like immaculate and it's like a museum in here. You know, and then I go into my house and it's like, oh, oh, oh. time out, moms. I never forget when we were at a couple's seminar down in um, Family Life Conference one year. I'll never forget the young couple. The young couple who was teaching us stood up, and one of the questions came up in one of the sessions about how do you get your kids to clean a room. And so the mom stood up and said, well, here's what we do, and they gave us all the right answers. And then the older couple stood up, and they said, I don't want to discredit anything that my, my teaching people said here. They said, but just let me remind you of something. He said, uh, we had X number of children, and all our children have gone and moved out now. Every day, as I walk to my office, I walk past immaculately clean rooms. He said, do you know what I would give to walk by and see that room messed up? He said, learn to appreciate where you are in life. Learn to choose your battles wisely. I'm not saying you shouldn't get your kids clean your rooms, but I'm saying learn to appreciate what the, values, what, what, what the battles really are. Learn to focus on what's important. Moms, look, you don't have to have it all together. In fact, we get a little nervous if you've got it all together, honestly. And for those of you who are single parents, I mean, our, I mean you've got to realize you're like, our, you're like the next level hero because you've got to play the role too, and you've got to play the back and forth and all of that game and everything that's involved. And unfortunately, we're in, a, we're in a society now where many families have to be two-income families. And so now we've got moms. You know, I look back at what my wife did. I, I don't even know how it was humanly possible for her to raise two gorillas. I mean, you know, um, you know because it was just it was overwhelming, you know. You know, I love my granddaughter. I can't wait. Claire's coming over this afternoon for dinner. It's going to be awesome. And then she's going to go home, and we're going to be exhausted. <laughs> and we're going to go, I don't know how they do it all week long. She's like, she's like an Energizer bunny rabbit on, on batteries that never die. And, and, you know, and I love it, but the reality of it is... Moms, dads, parents, grandparents, you've got a tough job. Don't make it harder by setting up some unrealistic Frankenstein-created parent model that you've got to have it all together. These are two moms who came out of a horrible background who just wanted to be moms. And 
God, when he has to use a situation to establish Solomon's kingdom, uses these two bonds. You know what I find even more fascinating? And, and, and I'm going to, this is a stretch, okay? So I'll just, just, but just hear me out, and, and I'll tell you why I think it makes sense. Why in the world would Solomon hear this case in the beginning anyway? These two people are society castaways. These are two people that society puts no value in. These are two people that, so, that society says, you know what, forget it. We, we don't even want to know, that, we don't even want to acknowledge these kind of people exist in our community. And Solomon says, bring the case to me. I'm going to tell you why I think so. Who is Solomon's mommy? Bathsheba. Who knew more about being considered cast off of society or talked about or pushed aside? I think Bathsheba developed within Solomon a compassion and a care for people that when he heard about this case, he said, bring that one to me. And I think depending on how you read 1 Kings chapter 2, Bathsheba maybe even have been sitting next to him when he made this decision. Because I think that mom, Bathsheba, again, not a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. That woman had an impact on Solomon. And Solomon had an impact and the compassion and the understanding to be able to make this incredibly tough, hard decision. So I think the first lesson is for us to realize that you don't have to be perfect. I think the second lesson, and it's not necessarily from these two women, but it's from other women in the Bible, is the idea of it's your job, moms, it's our job as parents, adults, grandparents, adopted aunts and uncles, everybody in the church, to help point these kids to Christ. Um, I think you see that in the life of Hannah when she takes Samuel to the temple. I think you see it in the life of Jochebed when she takes Moses and she was supposed to kill him and she puts him in this basket and pushes him out in the water trusting that God's going to take care of him. I think you see it with Mary and Joseph when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple on a regular basis to try to show and, and, and involve God in, that, in, in, in their lives. And I think it's so important for us to understand moms, dads, whether you got kids, whether you, you know, I, my belief is this. If you don't have children here, adopt some of these kids. Find two or three kids that every Sunday you're here, you go up and say something to. Find some kid that you decide you're going to invest in while they're here. You'll be amazed how much that pays off down the line. Not only in their lives, but in your life. My kids are the benefit of that. My kids are the benefit. Like Josh said this morning, you know, he's got so many aunts, uncles, grandparents, nieces, nephews. We ran out of stuff to call you. So we just said family. Because, but those are people who had impact in their lives. And, and the goal is for us to be able to bring our children to understand what God teaches and, and, and how God does that. And, and Solomon, even coming, from, even coming from the background of Bathsheba, learned how important it was to put God first. Because you know what Solomon's going to go on and do? They're going to go on and write almost 3,000 proverbs. He's going to compose about 1,000 so, uh, poetry deals. He's going to build the temple. 
You're going to build a temple that becomes one of the greatest wonders of the world in its glory and majesty. Because somewhere along the line, he learned to develop a passion for God. It was modeled for him. It was, and again, from Bathsheba, folks, if you know the story, you look at that and go, that's not the kind of woman that I'm supposed to be. But moms don't have to be perfect. And God uses them in great ways. And, and, and don't minimize the impact that you're having on your kids. Like I say, the hand that rocks the cradle changes the world. And that's so important to understand. And you have that idea of not being a perfect mom. You have that idea of leading them to, leading them to God. And then you have this other idea. And this is what amazes me in the story. These women were comfortable enough to come to the king with their problem. And their king, even though he's young, even though he's inexperienced, had the time to listen to him, and the time took the time to help them with this situation. Moms, listen to me this morning. There are times that you're going to come up against stuff that's overwhelming. There are going to come times that as great of resources as you put around you, it's just you. I want to remind you of this. It's not just you. It's you and God. And there are times that there are going to be things that you can only take, that you, that you take to him. And you say, God, well, our story is this. This is, this is the worst parenting advice you will ever hear. Okay? But I made a deal with my wife when our children were born. I said, look, I don't, I don't, I don't do kids. Hey, I said, first of all, babies scare me. Secondly, little children just frustrate me. I've tempered a little bit since then. Um, I said, I like them from junior high on. But I, 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 like, I like that age group. So I'll make you a deal. You take them to sixth grade, I'll take them from there. Okay? Now, first of all, that was the dumbest <laughs> thing to ever do. But my wife had a big role in my kids all the way up to sixth grade. She had a big role all the way, but all the way up to sixth grade particularly. And then we had junior high and high school with my boys. And I don't remember what it was. I don't even remember which one of them it was. I could guess. But um, um, I had just come up against it. I think it was a combination of both of them and whatever else. And I just told I remember. I remember one night I looked at her and I said, I'm done. I said, I have resigned as parent. I said, I'm not parenting anymore. I said, I am done. And my wife, you got to know my wife. She looked at me and went, deal's a deal. It's your problem now, buddy. Um, and she said, you, you're not allowed to resign as a parent. You know, this is the mom talking. You're not allowed to resign as a parent. You don't get that option. Okay? You know, this is what you signed up for. You're stuck. You, you, got, you just got to gotta just push your way through it and figure out a way through it. And I got some people to come alongside of me and help me and help me navigate through it so I didn't do too much damage. Um, but it was so important for me to have somebody to go to and to realize that even as a pastor, you know what, Lord, you know, you gave me these kids. You've, you've given them the responsibility. You can help me as I try to raise them. Solomon as a king was open for these moms, these two society castaway moms to come to him 
And as a king, he listened. And you have a king of kings and lord of lords who has open ears 24-7 who you can go to and say, Lord, look, you know, um, I'm, I, I, what you're probably going to go to God and say this, Lord, I'm really messing this up. Because you've got some Frankenstein idea of what a perfect mom looks like and you're not measuring up. And I, I would say to you what I say to most couples that are getting married, it's very important that you have realistic expectations and not unrealistic expectations. And I watch too many moms who feel like there's just too many, they put too many unrealistic expectations on themselves. But even when you do that, you can go to God and God's, God will listen and God will help you and God will give you resources to be able to get you through what you're going through. And that's true for all of us, whether we're a mom or a dad or a, a male or a female, just sitting here, God does that. He is that kind of God. He's that kind of king. So I just want to challenge you. Moms, I understand you have a tough job. For those of you who go, you know, well, I'm not a mom. Adopt somebody. You go, well, I don't know which kid to pick. Here, let's just do this. The first kid that walks by you on the way out of the service, adopt that one. Okay, first one that bumps into you, go, okay, this is my new ministry. I'm going to try to be a friend of this kid. Okay. Um, don't make it more complicated than it is. It's like, well, I'll pray about it. Don't, don't pray about it, just do it. You know, and you'll be amazed at what God does, and you will be amazed. We've watched this play out here over and over and over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons. I'm not against programmed church. I'm not against having programs for different age groups in the church. I'm not against that. But we believe very firmly here in an intergenerational ministry where I want three-year-olds sitting with 75-year-olds. And I want teenagers talking to 70-year-olds and finding out what car, what was their first car to drive and listening to the stories and developing relationships and finding out, oh, they've got this in common with me and maybe I can learn this from them. And, maybe they, and, and, and then the older people are going, you know, you know, once they built, okay, older people, let me make it really easy for you. You can't keep up with the technology. These kids will learn it in 10 minutes. Be a friend to them so you can then one day at church go, hey, you know what? I'm having trouble with my phone. Um, and they're like, oh, give me that. <laughs> there you go. You know, because we can all learn from each other. Okay, that's what it's about. And listen, we have a tremendous opportunity in front of us. We have a tremendous responsibility. And moms, I want to encourage you. This story, we often focus on Solomon's wisdom in this story. But there's much more to this story than just that. This is about two unconventional moms who God teaches us that there is value in children no matter what the background they came from. That there's value in children. There's value in being a mom no matter what your background is. That God can use you to be a great mom. Be careful here. Because the world is putting a lot of pressure on you that's incredibly unrealistic. And there's an incredible amount of wisdom and there's an incredible amount of people who can help you. We've got we to we do it together. And it's the same thing with Christian growth. It's the same thing about learning how to grow in Christ. So I end this morning with this. I end with the idea 
The Solomon story reminds us that none of us are perfect. God expects us to do our best as we serve him. We love the children that God brings into our world. And we use our abilities to point them to Christ. When we struggle with our children, we have a God who listens and a God who will guide us in his wisdom. Just as these women trusted the wisdom of Solomon who listened. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it scares us when we realize the responsibility that comes with parenting. And Lord, for many of the moms here who are not just being a mom, but they're working full time and they're doing so many things uh, to try to keep all of the ducks in a row. And Lord, at times it's just overwhelming. I pray that today you would encourage your hearts. For those that sit here this morning, Lord, and struggle because maybe they not a, not a parent or their children are gone or uh, their children live a far distance away and they don't get to see them often. That, Lord, you'd help us, all of us, to be a parent to these kids. For all of us to take an interest in their lives. For all of us to build relationships with them. And, Lord, may we learn from them as they learn from us. And, Lord, when things get overwhelming, may we go to you. May we trust your wisdom. May we trust your guidance. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may the generation behind us be even stronger than we are. These things we ask in your name.